Amen. Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, if you would. So the, as y'all turn into Acts chapter 2, the question I would like to ask this morning is, would you rather have a million dollars today, a million dollars today, or one penny doubled every day for 30 days? And that's the question I like to ask. And if there's anybody in here who for sure take the million, just raise your hand real quick. Nobody like millions of dollars. And how many will take the penny? That means y'all already know. Because otherwise, you wouldn't do such a thing. Amen. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and, and for so many people, when I first heard, I was like, Psh, take the million. Easy. Psh, today, and I don't have to wait, so I'll take the million. You know, but me, I, I like math, and going and looking at the numbers, it, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, um, yeah, this don't even make sense. You know, and if we'll put that uh, picture up, if we could. But, um, and you see, you got the, the penny and how it just multiplies and multiplies. And these first few days, you're like, I'm, I'm winning with this, mil with this million that I have all the way up until day 28. You know, and you have, you know, for 27 days, you're just like, I still have more money than you. And then you go to day 28, and you're like, man, I should have waited. I should have waited. And then you go to day 29, and you're like, I really should have waited. And then you get to day 30, and you was like, what was I thinking? But what I wanted to talk about today is the value of one. Because for me, when I heard penny, I didn't believe that a penny could multiply to something like that. I didn't believe that one penny could do such a thing. And so I was like, Psh, I'm going to take the million, and I'm going to take it today. And so many times in the church today, we want it now. But when we think about all the things that God asks us to do, he always asks us to wait. Because when we wait, you know, he, he's testing our faith, testing our faith, you know, and you're like, man, I got to wait 30 days. And I know if you was to wait 30 days, that'd be the longest 30 days in, in history, you know, but. I wanted to start reading in Acts chapter 2, you know, and um, starting in verse 36. And it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you, to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. Father, let us pray. Father God, I thank you for just bringing us here this morning, Father God. And Father, I just ask that you just arrest our minds this, this morning, Father God, and just allow us to focus on you, to focus on your word, Father God. And Father, I ask that you just allow me to get the word out that you've placed in my heart, that you allow me, Father God, to, to present this word, Father God, just the way you presented it to me, Father God, and convicted me, Father God, and Father, I thank you for everything that you're about to do. Father, I ask that you soften our hearts all over this place. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And so, when we think about the million, we, I, I immediately, when I went to compare it to the kingdom of God, I, I immediately compared that million dollars to a revival, to the revival that we've wanted to see. And so many times we in the church, we, we like to try to make a revival happen. We, you know, we, what, what did they do? They sung these songs. They, they did this. Let me try that. Let me try to do these. Let me try to do these things. And, and when we do that, the Holy Spirit is not involved. But when you think about the penny, when you think about that one person, and I, and I was like, man, what can I compare the penny to? And God was like, hey, you. And so I, I compared the penny to each and every one of us in this place. Each and every one of us is that penny. Each and every one of us have people that we can multiply, that we can go out and we can talk to and reach the lost. But it's up to us to, to use the Holy Spirit to do that, to go out into this world and reach the lost. And so when you think about that one penny or you think about yourself, like how can I go and start a revival? How can I reach millions of people? How can I even reach two people? But then when we think about what God has called us to do, God has already paved the way for us. All we have to do is go. All we have to do is listen and he'll take care of the rest. But a lot of times we just, God, we want a revival. God, give us that revival. God, I need that revival. And he's like, revival starts with the one person. And when that one person multiplies to two people, then that two people to four people, and that four people to eight people, and eight to 16 and 32 and so on, that's how you start a revival. When you get one penny all over the place, when you get one penny that is sold out for God. And when I think about the penny, I think about me being totally surrendered to God. When I think about the penny, I think about you, each and every one of you, totally surrendered to God. I think about a soul on fire for Jesus. I think about the penny. I think about each and every one of us asking this one question. And this one question is so powerful. Is God, what can I do for you? Because so many times we come and we say, God, I need you to fix this. 
God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to work this out. God, I need you to heal this. God, I need you to give me a financial blessing. God, I need, I need, I need. But when I think about the penny, I think about, God, what can I do for you? What can I do for you, God? And so I want to read verse 36 through 39 again. And it says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when you think about the word you in that sentence, that's what we have to do. We have to take this Bible and read it as if God is talking to us. And that touched me. That cut me to the heart. Because it says, whom you crucified. Each and every person in this place crucified Jesus. And I'm talking to the ones who've sinned. If you've never sinned, then I'm not talking to you this morning. But I'm talking to the ones that have sinned. I'm talking to the ones who've been out in the world. And when you realize how much you've done, when you realize that you've put our Lord and Savior on the cross to die for the things that you did, not the things that he did, the things that you did, then it's like, man. And then you read verse 37. It says, and now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And so I'm, I'm saying to you this morning that if you heard that, that you crucified Jesus, and you was not cut to the heart. What are you doing? Are you asking that question of God, what can I do for you? And it says, and, and now they heard this and they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's a penny's attitude. That's a penny's heart. Because a penny got to work extra hard to get its value. A penny got to work hard to just a hundred of them just to make one dollar. And nowadays a dollar isn't much. And so you got to work extra hard to be not much. You know? And But when you think about it, God is looking down like, that's my son. That's my daughter. And they continue to have that heart that I'm looking for. I can take that penny right there. I can take that penny in you, Jose. I can take that penny and I can make him into something big for me. Not for you, but for, for God. And when we think about those things, that should convict us and touch us and, and, and make us want to ask this question. Peter didn't make them ask this question. They asked this question, what can I do what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you. The promise is to me. The promise is, is, is that we get that opportunity to ask God that question because that's a powerful question. God, what can I do for you?
And so we get to ask that question once we give our lives to him. Because nobody, I, I can guarantee you, nobody who's not serving Jesus is asking that question. God, what can I do for you, Jesus, as I'm in the world? But when you are cut to the heart and you want to do what God has asked you to do, when you're totally submitted and surrendered to Jesus Christ, you're steady asking that question. And the reason we asking that question is because Jesus asked that question. He said, Father, if there's another way, and then he said, never mind. I know what I got to do because I'm doing this for my father. Amen. I'm doing this for each and every one of you. And he went and he died and laid his life down on that cross for each and every one of us in this place. Amen. Amen. And we serve a mighty God. And so when you think about that, you just think about it, it says the promises for you. But it's not only for you. Because when we think about, if it was just for that penny, then that penny would stay at one penny. And that penny would do nothing else. That one life, if we come and we come in here and give our lives to Christ and let that be that and just that, that's all it ever be is one soul. But when we think about, okay, God, how can I be like you? How can I, what can I do for you? And God, God told us exactly what to do. He said, go be fisher of men. Go out into this world and win souls. And when we do that, then we're saying, hey, it can't just be me. I have to multiply this penny in order to do what God has called me to do, to do what God has asked me to do. And so the promises to you to your children so if you if it's just all about you it's going to stop at you and your children are going to go and be whatever but God has said that the promises to you to your children and all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call and just in case y'all didn't know God has called everyone God has called each and every person in this world that ever lived he called us all and it's up to us to go get the call Amen? Amen. And when you think about it, it, uh, it says in, um, in verse 38, and, let, and repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. If there is no remission of sin, if there is no remission of your sins, then there's no promise. If there's no remission of your sins, then there's no gift of the Holy Spirit. If there's no remission of your sins, there is no going to heaven. If there is no remission of sin, there is no revival. There is no multiplying. And so the word says in, in, in Joel chapter 2, that he will, in the last days, he will pour out his spirit upon everyone. And that revival is what we've been looking for, what we've been waiting to see. 
But I'm not just talking about a, a revival that you hear about, that you see on TV, a, a revival. Some people may have grew up in a church where revival was going to church every day of the week and having snacks afterwards. But that's not the revival I'm talking about. That's not the revival I'm talking about. I'm talking about a revival that is so strong with the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is moving so strong that people are coming and getting up out of wheelchairs, walking around like, hey, Jesus did this for me. The blind coming in, being able to see. The deaf coming in and being able to hear. The mute coming in talking saying Jesus, amen? Coming out, not being able to say a word, but being able to say Jesus, amen? And that's the revival we, we want to see. That's the revival that I've been praying for since I've been saved. That's the revival that I want to see. But I know that the revival starts with me, and I have to do my part. And the revival starts with you. The revival starts with each and every one of you. We have to do our part. But even that revival right now is not what I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on the revival to where you see those non-believers, those people who say there is no God, those people that say Jesus is for the weak, those people that say Jesus didn't die on the cross. Those that say Jesus is dead. Those that say Jesus is not who he claimed to be. Come into that revival and say, okay, there is a God. His name is Jesus. And I'm going to give my life to him. And not only that, but I'm going to go out into this world and tell more people that Jesus is who he is. That's the revival we've been called to see but it starts with each and every one of us. It, it don't start with coming to church because we've came, I've been coming to church for almost four years since I've been saved. And I've seen glimpses and pieces, but I haven't seen this. I haven't seen this. And so it's not enough to just come to church. It's not enough to just stay at home and read your Bible. It starts with asking that question and then sitting back and waiting. Because as you notice, that million came soon, quick, that first day. But to, to multiply that penny, you got to wait. When you think about the Acts Church, they had to wait. They had to sit there and they had to wait and wait and wait and pray and pray and wait and pray. And then it was like, man, some people, if you're not... If you're not on a one accord in this place, all together on one accord, all with the same goal, then you're never going to be able to multiply into what we're supposed to be. But I want to continue reading if we could. If you put the other picture up, Chris. And starting in verse 40. It says, and with many others, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word 
were baptized. And that day added about, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. It didn't say fear came upon a couple of them. It didn't say fear came upon most of them. It said fear came upon every soul. And so if you're praying for something, let that be your prayer. Father God, let me fear you. And when each and every one of us take that initiative to say, God, I need you. God, let me fear you. When we all do that together, that's what being on one accord is. It's not all showing up together in one place. That's not what being on one accord is. Being on one accord is having the same like-mindedness. We're going to focus on Jesus. And when we do that, we're saying, Jesus, I want nothing but what you have for me. I don't, want to, I don't want anything else. I'm not worried about going to lunch after church. I'm not worried about anything else. Jesus, I'm worried about you and what you want for me. And it says, and then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And now all who believed were together in all in had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all who had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread and from house to house they ate their food and with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So if, if you don't get anything else out of this message, just get the fact that you, me, each and every one of us have to do our part. We can't look to the other guy and say, hey, you look like a mighty Christian. You can take on my part too. You know, that can't be our attitude. Our attitude has to be God. What can I, what can I not what can we, I mean, that's, that's one thing, but it has to be, God, what can I do for you? God, what can I do for you? So if you don't get anything else, get that. God, what can I do for you? And so when you think about, you know, I've talked a lot about revival, but I want to get back to the one. Because the one is so important. And when you think about the one, God would have sent his son to go die for the one. He said, you know, he said that he will leave the 99 sheep to go after that one. That he'll rejoice over that backslider, over that backslider that comes back into and, and give their lives back to Christ. And when you think about the one, you think about you. Where were you? Because I know nobody's in here have been sinless their whole life. Or can I get a show of hands if you've been sinless your whole life? So I can, okay. And so 
because we haven't all been sinless, we've all sinned. And we all need Jesus. We have to take that time to think about those people that are out there that are lost right now. And they're out there having a good old time. And they're not thinking about what's to come. They're not thinking about their lives afterwards. All they're thinking about is now. Having fun now. Doing whatever they got to do now. They're not thinking about what's to come. What's going to happen when they die. You know, and it was so amazing just at that, at the judgment play we had. We were in there praying and pastor came in and said that one of the ladies had been trying to reach out to her atheist uncle and I guess you know ever since she's been trying to reach out to him he's been you know there is no God God don't exist whatever but then they gave him I think four to six weeks to live and when you get that call, you want to know. And so he, she sent him clips of the judgment play because she came the first night and sent him clips of the judgment play. And at 1.30 in the morning, he gave his life to Christ. He gave his life to Christ. And then at 3.30 that morning, he died. But just imagine if he would have kept his heart hard. And be like, man, ain't no God. He would have been in hell right now. But because he gave his life to Christ, because of that one lady, that one lady who felt the value of that one, felt that he was important enough to go tell him about Jesus. They're in heaven rejoicing right now. He's in heaven right now, and I'm, and I'm sure he's still clapping right now. He's still praising God like, man, I lived my whole life stupidly. In that last few hours, I gave my life to Jesus, and that was the best decision I've ever made. But that starts with the one person, you each and every one of us to care about the lost enough to say, I'm going to go reach out to them. Even if they say, that's, that's stupid. Why would you believe in a Jesus you've never seen? Which we've had a lot of, you know. They, that's what they say. But then when that time comes and you're on your deathbed, you're asking that question. Hey, uh, what what am I going to believe? You know, you have that short time to live and it, it has come into perspective, then it's what am I going to do? But she cared enough for that one. And he didn't get a chance to come and reach out to people and get to go outreach but I guarantee you, he will have souls 
Because I'm sure she's telling that story right now. I'm sure she's telling that story. And I'm sure there's somebody that hurt, that's going to hear that story and be like, man, wow. And give their lives to Christ. And he's going to have a chance to have fruit in heaven without even outreaching. But because he chose to listen and change his heart, turn his heart back to God. So when you think about everything, we have to remember that it starts with you. And a famous um, preacher, his name is D.L. Moody, he said, this world has yet to see what one man surrendered to God can do. And I believe that with all my heart. That one man, one penny, sur totally surrendered to God, this world has yet to see. We've seen revivals. We've heard about revivals. But I'm sure we haven't seen what one man can do. Totally surrender to God. And if you're turning your Bibles to Joshua 23. Just say amen when you get there. Everybody there? Starting in verse 9. <clears throat> it says, For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations, but as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you, as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourself that you love the Lord your God. And when you just think about verse 10 and how much that speaks to, to me, one man of you so you replace that with Dwayne. You shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. When you think about our Lord and Savior fighting for each and every one of us. There's nothing greater to knowing that I can go out and, and say, Lord, what can I do for you? Go out and talk to that person. You mean, you know, the, and we get, for me, I used to get fear a lot when it comes to talking to someone. I'd be like, you know, get in my spirit to go talk to that person. And the first thing I do is make an excuse. Uh, I don't have any tracks on me or, oh, man, I, you know, whatever it may be. And then by the time I get the courage to go do that, they already moved on. And it's like, I don't know where that person went. I don't know if that person went on and died. I don't know. And that's a sobering thought to think that God told you to go talk to that person and you chose to ask questions and do other things and that person went on and you have no clue. 
I pray that God had mercy enough to send someone else to talk to that person. But God has called each and every one of us. It says that God, um, it says one man of you shall chase a thousand. I believe that I have at least a thousand people that I can go reach. I have at least a thousand people that I can go reach, if not more, because it said back in, back in Acts that he reached 3,000 in that one day, you know, and so when we think about what we can do for God, you know, it's amazing. And one man of you shall chase a thousand. And in a minute, I would like to just share a testimony, just have someone come and share a testimony of this church and how the value of one changed this church, took this church from being nothing to what it is today, a soul-winning church, a, a church that believes in Jesus Christ. But I just want to ask that question. Do you believe that you have a thousand people that you can reach? And maybe it's just one. But we don't know which one that person is. And so when we get in our spirits, we have to, to obey. We have to listen. We have to go. When God says speak, we have to speak to that one person. Because when you think about um, Ananias, and he um, went to reach went to go talk to Saul who was killing Christians at the time that's not a person you want to go reach out to I know for me I would have been like God um, we gonna send Brian cause my back hurts you know but you know it, it, it just would have it would have been an excuse it's like this this guy has been killing Christians Anybody who says the name Jesus, he throwing them in jail, killing them, doing whatever. And it's like, man. But then when you realize that God can use anybody. God can use someone that curses his name. God can use someone that says there is no God. God can use someone that is shy. God can use someone that don't talk much. God can use you this morning. Amen? Amen? Amen. And so I just want to give the mic to, to Laura and just let her testify about this church. So about, what, two months ago, God kind of gave me a, a revelation of um, that I told Dwayne that was just really neat to see. It's very I, I don't think we always get to see how God works and how God uses us. And nine year, about nine years ago, Pastor Albert was a security guard at a kid's school in Carrollton. And I, was a physical I am a physical therapist, but I was working for a clinic in Louisville. And the marketing manager that I worked with, his kids went to Pastor Albert's school. And so they were talking, they talked a lot, and Pastor Elbert shared with him about Miss Pam and how she'd had a stroke years before and hadn't gotten all this, you know, a lot of recovery back at that time, was having difficulty doing things, and so he 
the marketing manager, of course, being a marketing manager, but he's a really great guy, and he said, you know, you should, where do you live? And so, oh, well, we live in Louisville, actually, and I, oh, well, we have a clinic in Louisville, you should come and get therapy, get her, come get therapy. So, she was my patient, can you believe it's almost been nine years, isn't that crazy? And, and like, October, November, it'll be nine years, and of course, if you've ever met Miss Pam, you just know that she has the biggest heart, and I felt like she could see right through me, and I had grown up in church, but I had backslidden for about 10 years into drinking, and um, so we spent about four or five months together doing therapy, and she would tell me about her kids, and told me about her daughter that lived in Flower Mound, and she had a son in Arizona, and then she had a son in Costa Rica, who was uh, over a church there, and so, you know, we're just talking, and of course, you spend a couple hours a week with somebody, so you get to know them pretty well. Well, then she all of a sudden said, well, my son, you know, he's been praying, and, and God's telling him to come back to Denton, to start a church in Denton. And I thought, you know, I grew up Baptist, so things take a long time in that church, and it's like, oh, that'll be like a year from now, you know, that they'll be here. And literally like two months later, she said, oh, they're here, they're going to, you know, we're going to be doing this service um, in their house, and, you know, you should come. And, and I, I, that first service, the, well, the, the first day that they were planning on doing the service, um, we went out drinking the night before, and so I didn't wake up and um, to go. And then that week, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to face her. She she sees right through me. I just know it. And I'm going to have to face her, and she's going to ask me where I was and why I didn't call. And and so it just, I it was horrifying. Chris was like, what's the big deal? I said, you don't know her. <laughs> I was like, she is so sweet and nice, and I feel like it's like my mom looking at me, you know, and so that next week, she, you know, she came in, she said, oh, well, we didn't end up having it, but we're going to have it this next week, and I said, oh, God, because, you know, it's one of those things, if you miss the first one, then you can kind of blow off the other ones, you know, you can make excuses for why you can't make it or whatever, but, you know, she was just was with a heart of love, very persistent, and um, so, I, you know, we went out drinking that night, and I got up that morning to go, and Chris is like, why are you going? I said, you don't know her. I have to see her this week, and I can't use this as an excuse. She's too sweet and too nice. I can't, I'm going, you know, so I went, and then Chris met us after lunch, uh, for lunch after that, and, you know, God, I just knew that's where God wanted us to be. So about, um, fast forward a little bit, we were in and out of the church for about a year, and then I got pregnant with Gavin, and I quit drinking. That was God's forcing my sobriety, because I wasn't going to drink when I was pregnant, and so I got into the church, and Chris would come with me on Sundays more as a, you know, i got to show people I'm a good husband checklist, you know, so I would go all the other services, and um, then Gavin came along, and I took Gavin anyways, whether he went or not, and a Gavin's first birthday, God had really been dealing with Chris. Chris had a really hard job. Um, he was working for a production company shooting commercials in Dallas, but was expected to do the job of three people with only getting very minimal pay, you know, dealing with a boss that cussed at him all the time. And so he had a lot of anger, um, road rage issues, things like that, that um, God was kind of bringing him to a head on it finally, you know, and so... We felt led for him to leave that job, which was a hard decision to go from making income and then saying, I'm going to do this on, do some of this stuff on my own and having to really trust God to provide. But, you know, God just overnight changed Chris. He was able to put his anger aside and a lot of things that he was been struggling with for a long time that kept him from doing what God called him to do. So about three months after that, um, 
some of our youth had gone to Colorado for New Year's and they had seen a play called The Judgment Seat. And Pastor came to me and asked me if we could do something like that here. And I said, well, wouldn't it be cool if we did some video stuff in it and Chris could do the video stuff? And so that was really how The Judgment was born. And we put that together and the, we had a lady that was going to church here at the time, um, Gloria, and one of her friends and her friend's husband had come to it. And that, uh, her name's Irene. And she um, got saved during that, during the judgment, the first time we did it. And they got plugged into the church. And since then, yeah, um, have been called away to help another church out. So um, on their feet. So Irene is the lady who Dwayne had to work with that she was talking to him about Jesus and he wasn't wanting to hear it. And that he um, ended up coming and asking Myra to come to a Tuesday night service and a revival that we were having. And so they ended up coming in and getting saved. And then when, because of some people leaving the church, we had to revamp the judgment. We went to Dwayne and asked Dwayne to be in it. And um, during that play, doing it, Casey and Ruth got saved and they came into the church and um, have become a big part of our church. And we love having them here. And then Ruth sister and brother and their families started coming in and so it just it was like multiplication overnight in that section and <laughs> so it was really awesome and then Nestor and uh, Priscilla over there coming in and so it just I told Dwayne this I said it's so awesome you know looking back now over these last almost, it's been eight years in the spring since we started the church and pastor's living room but actually getting to see how God used a lady in a wheelchair who loves the Lord with all her heart to help this grow. You know, and I know there's been other shoots, other people coming in, that, you know, the Ayala's coming in and bringing in Jesse and his family. You know, there's so many different ways that his offshot in so many different directions. But I know at least for our line of what we see our fruit is, and I always tell her, I said, this is your fruit. Look at that section, Miss Pam. That's your fruit over there, you know, that, that you brought just by being obedient. You know, and saying, you know, God can use me no matter what situation I'm in, so. Thank you. Amen. And that's, you know, just how being obedient, asking that question, God, what can you do for me? And, and God, he works so amazingly that he uses the one person. But not only that, you can be that one person that that may you may not be that the big person that starts everything like Miss Pam she wasn't going to start this church it took pastor coming as well but that's how our lives are intertwined together and we have to realize that if Miss Pam didn't do her part then I don't know where I'd be and and so I thank you and, and I thank God for just allowing people to be able to say, yes, God, I'll do what you've called me to do. God, I'll do what you've called me to do. Because I know it's not about me. That because I, I answered the, the call, that someone else out there in the world can be saved. Because I, I, I said yes. And... 
I know that um that without this church I I don't know where I'd be. I know that I I'm pretty sure I'd be in hell or in jail right now. Because I used to drink and drive a lot. Because I always hung out by myself. And I was always drinking. So therefore I had to get around. You know and. I you know when I when I got saved. The, the one thing that I wanted to do was. See my family saved. But even more than that, I wanted to see my family in church with me because I, I could vouch for this church. I couldn't vouch for all the other churches out there. You know, and I know that starting with my pastor's pastor who lives the word and, and not just preach it, but he lives what he preaches. And my pastor lives what he preaches. And those that are under him live what they preach. And that's hard to find in today's churches. But when you think about what we can do for God, there is no limits. We can take one and turn it into five million if we trust God. And so as we bow our heads and close our eyes, I want to read one last story. Because we know that God is amazing. And we know that in his, in his word, he says that if you call upon my name, you and your households will be saved. And in Joshua 6, verse 23 to, through 25, It says, and the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwelled in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers who Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Rahab cared enough about her family to 
to do something for God. And because she did something for God, not only her was saved, but her father, her mother, her brothers, her whole family, all that came into that house were saved. And when you just think about how amazing God is, that he sent his son to die for each and every one of us. Not because we deserved it, because it says here that she was a harlot, a prostitute. So no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through right now, God can use you if you just give your life to him. He's called each and every one of us to give our lives to him. Today, not tomorrow. Tomorrow's not promised. It's been people dying left and right. Tomorrow is not promised. Promised. 